Okay, let's turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, I'd like to read verses 14 to 21. And uh, this is um, just before this, we have, of course, if this is uh, somewhat uh, sequential, uh, in chapter 16, we have Peter's confession where he said, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then at the beginning of chapter 17, we have the transfiguration. We have the three, th the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain with Jesus, the transfiguration. Moses and Elijah, they're talking to Jesus, you know, and, and Peter thought this was great. We should make some tents and just stay here a while. And, um, of course, then it changed, and they came down from the mountain. So that's where we pick up here, verse 14. When they were come down to the multitude, uh, Matthew 17, verse 14, when they were come down to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falls into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Okay, I have a question for you. I want you to answer. Why could the disciples not cast him out? Okay, Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, and then down in verse 20, it says, well, 20, yeah, because of your unbelief. Any other ideas, thoughts? It says in verse 21, Albeit this kind goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Okay, so this kind goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. And, and then also the faith aspect. So the disciples couldn't cast him out. Jesus did. Now how could Jesus do it then? focused on themselves in their lack? Could be. Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation. And the word faithless there is disbelieving. Um, and perverse is... Um, distorted, corrupt, morally. We think today 
that people, well, post-Christian era, post-modernism, whatever you want to call it, that people just aren't interested in the gospel. It's just a... We're just uh, living in the midst of a heathen, godless culture. And so, can't expect much, really. I mean, this was a... a this, he said faithless and perverse generation, so I don't know that ours is that much different. That word... Um, Perverse is only used seven times, uh, if I looked right. And um, in Acts 13, in fact, let's just check that out. Um, Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 8 and 10. Yeah. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hands of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season." Immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he was about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. But in verse 8, turn away, the verb turn away is the same as the verb pervert in verse 10. It's that same word that Jesus used uh, in uh, Matthew 17, perverse generation. Um, and <clears throat> so, but you see, here was this Elymas, a sorcerer, and he was trying to pervert the truth. And Paul was full of the Holy Spirit, and he dealt with it. And uh, earlier in this chapter, uh, at the beginning, uh, when they started on this missionary journey, and then it says they... Um, well, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. Okay, talk about, okay, so praying and fasting. There's where the praying and fasting come in. The Holy Ghost gave direction. Well, then, uh, so then this followed from that. Um, now, uh, turn while we're looking at that, at, word, at that word. Let's go to Philippians 2.15. that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What is our conference motto? Okay, holding forth the word of life, and I think it comes from this verse. I think maybe that verse is tacked onto it. I'd have to check for sure. 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so this and so that was back in New Testament times to be blameless and harmless, sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So things haven't changed that much as far as the basic um, surroundings. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. And this crooked and perverse nation, so the perverse there is the same word, but then also the crooked was interesting. The crooked there is, um, the Greek word is scolios. You've heard of scoliosis, crooked spine, and that's where it comes from. Um, but a, a crooked and a twisted and a morally corrupt generation and we're to shine as lights in the world. And um, Jesus said back in Matthew, he said, how long shall I suffer or endure or put up with this generation? That, that's kind of... Um, Jesus, I'm sure, wasn't frustrated. Was he disappointed in their lack of faith? Why, why did he express that? That almost looks like kind of a rebuke. Well, in fact, it don't just look like it. I think it was. Um, and another thing that was uh, a kind of... Uh, thought-provoking, I guess, to say about all this... We have the parallel passage. Let's see, the parallel passage to Matthew here is Luke 9. Luke 9, and I'm not going to take time to read that, 37 to 43. But I was looking at that. Luke 9, 40, 37 to 43 is the parallel passage where they came down, where Jesus healed this man, uh, with the boy with the unclean spirit. You have the transfiguration just before it in Luke, uh, in Luke 9. And, uh, but before that, in Luke 8... In Luke 8, the beginning of Luke 8, it says, It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And, and then it says, These women, which had been healed of evil spirits, and also um, Herod's finance minister's wife and some others, they were along with him. And I, I assume that all this kind of goes together. So Jesus took the disciples with him, he was out ministering and preaching, and in that chapter, you have him calming that storm uh, when they were out on the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, they, the storm came up, and Jesus was sleeping. And they said, you know, woke him up and said, don't you care about us? We're about ready to die. And he just said, be still. And everything, the sea was just like glass. storm was over. And you're probably familiar with that song, Behold What Manner of Man Is This? And that's where they got probably the, the thought for the song because the disciples said, you know, what manner of man is this? I mean, that would be impressive. You'd be like, okay, Monday evening, Monday evening, and a storm came through. And, well, of course, Jesus wasn't just a man, but somebody stand up and say, peace be still. All of a sudden, sun's out, no wind, no rain, everything just like that. That would be impressive. Well, that happened. That happened. And then, right, and then right after that, you had him healing the Gadarene demoniac, this man that lived in the tombs. He didn't wear any clothes. And he was so, so spirit-controlled, um, I don't understand how it works, although I've heard about people being on drugs and it takes four or five 
policemen to hold him down. <clears throat> but anyway, this man, they couldn't, even, they couldn't even bind him with chains. And Jesus healed him. And then after that, you have Jairus' daughter. Jairus comes. And on the way, this woman touches Jesus' garment. All this happened before they brought this boy, this lunatic boy, to him. They saw all that. And then in, in chapter 9, it says, He called the twelve disciples together, gave them power and authority over all devils to cure all diseases, and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And this happened after that, that this lunatic came. At the transfiguration, and then they come down the mountain, and the disciples are there, and they can't heal this boy. Now, why? After what you have at the beginning of chapter 9, I'm asking questions. Um, well, then, okay, that's then the, the account I read about them not being able to heal the, the boy. And actually, he was, he was in pretty bad shape. I'm going to read the part in Luke. Actually, I said I wasn't going to read the one in Luke. I wasn't going to read the one in Mark. It's a little bit longer. But I want to read it here in the, um, in the Berkeley version. Uh, it's not that much different, but just a little bit. Let me see here. Okay, Luke 9.37. Next day, when they came down from the mountain, a great crowd met them, and a man shouted from the crowd, Teacher, I beg of you to take a look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and suddenly he shrieks. It convulses him till he foams. In fact, it hardly quits wounding him. I entreated your disciples to expel him, but they were not able. Jesus responded, O faithless and perverse generation, how long must I still be with you and endure you? Bring your son here. And even while they were bringing him, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and cured the lad and presented him to his father. And how astonished they all were at the evidence of God's great power. Well, then in chapter 10, you have Jesus sending out the 70. And, uh, well, I'm going to read some verses here in chapter 10 of Luke. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then I was going to skip some verses here for the sake of time. And... Uh, well, anyway, they went out, and when they returned, they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said to them, I beheld Satan's lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I gave, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that your spirits are subject, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So we, we um, think that verse, that, that that helps us keep things in balance. You know, we're not out here looking, we're not out here grasping for manifestations, for demonstrations of power. Uh, being a child of God is the greatest thing that can be. And we don't have to have 
certain miracles to prove that we're a child of God. To prove that we're in a right relationship with God. But God is powerful and the power is there. And so I guess, you know, what I'm reach for is, is um, how to connect in our day. Now let's turn to the end of Luke, chapter 24, the very end of the book. Jesus, this is after the resurrection, and Jesus is appearing to his disciples from time to time. And this is probably one of the last times before the, uh, before the ascension. It ties together the end of Luke and the first of Acts. But um, verse 45 in chapter 24, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And so you have there in verse 46 uh, the resurrection. And in verse 47 you have repentance and, and, uh, and remission of sins, um, uh, freedom, liberty, forgiveness of sins. And that's what they were to preach. And then he said, go into the city and wait until you be endued with power from on high. And so then we have that in Acts. Okay, what day is today? Well, if you've got one of these little books, I think it tells you. Yeah, it's labeled Pentecost Sunday. So this is my iPad. But um, anyway, um, it's Pentecost Sunday. Like from the Ascension, well, and go back to Easter, the Crucifixion, Resurrection, Ascension, so many days, and falls on Sunday. And so it's Pentecost Sunday, and it's, it's what happened in Acts 2. It was in the Old Testament too, but especially this, uh, the Holy Spirit came um, in Acts 2, and you know that very well. And the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all wondering. And they, they had been. They went back, and they did what Jesus said. They waited. They were in the upper room. They were fasting and praying, or I don't know if it says fasting, but anyway, they were praying. They, they um, had somebody take the place of Judas. They got that taken care of. And it was only 10 days, and the Holy Spirit came. Then what happened in Acts 2? Well, in verses 22 to 24, Peter, Peter started preaching. And he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible he should be holding of it. I mean, he put it to him. He didn't pull no punches. And, uh, and then he talked about the resurrection, too. 
And it says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And that's, that's what Jesus had told him back there at the end of Luke. He, he, how he talked about the resurrection, how the scriptures all pointed out what happened. And then you're supposed to preach repentance, remission of sins. And Peter was just following exactly the formula. Well, not formula, but the directions. And, uh, and then he said, uh, repent and be baptized. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord uh, shall call. And with many other words that he testified and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And that untoward there again is the word scoliosis, crooked. And um, so then, now in Acts 2, we have preaching. In Acts 3, you have healing the lame man. In Acts 4, you've got opposition. They were arrested. And they prayed for boldness. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, okay, so in the book of Acts, you have... You have more miracles. You have more of these exciting demonstrations of the Spirit. And you go on in the epistles, <clears throat> it, looks, it looks like you got church problems. Um, you don't read as much like as what you have in the book of Acts. And yet, God was working and of course, you have the book of Acts and you got the epistles and the epistles were written during the time of the book of Acts, uh, at least Paul's. And so it's actually intermingled and, and the churches were growing. Uh, there were problems, of course, uh, growth problems and things that need to be dealt with. Um, And I, I don't, I don't think frustration is quite, quite the right word. But I, um, I'm, I'm still kind of wondering, where is the power of God today? Di di different experiences I've had, and maybe. Maybe I uh, have told you about some of these, but and you know, we can always fall back on verses like Jesus said, "There's only going to be a few that go through the straight gate. Most people are going to go the broad way. Even Jesus wasn't successful with everybody. I mean, Judas he chose the money bag rather than Jesus, and so." We got to be realistic, but let's not be too realistic uh, to just, well, that's just the way it is, you know. Okay, what I was going to say, there was this fellow about my age. He would stop in at our house when we lived at Bartow. He was on disability. 
and um, but he liked to visit and he'd like for Anna Marie to fix him something to eat and stuff and that happened over a period of years. He would come to church and he kind of eyed the girls and and so on and I know one time Eli Slayball was there and preaching and he was kind of acting up in the back of the church or at least Eli thought he was and he said if you can't behave you just leave so he left and he didn't come back for a while he was offended but eventually he came back he liked the fellowship he liked that you know but his home his dad was mean to him and I mean like he's about my age he was like 40 some years old or more when this was going on and uh, so one morning well, he told me, he said his dad would go after him with a stove poker. One morning, he shot his dad and killed himself. And I asked him one time, I said, you know, what you need is the Lord. I said, you need to be saved. He said, oh, I've been about eight or nine times. And, um, well, that's some of the weakness of some kinds of teaching. But uh, another time, it was his cousin, actually a younger boy. He's probably in his 20s, maybe 30. I went through instructions for beginners, that basic Bible lease. I went through the whole book with him, went down to his apartment in Marlington numerous times, went through the whole book. He'd study the book. We'd go down, we'd go over the lesson. And he, and he, um, he didn't have a job either. He told me the reason he didn't have a job. I mean, he had worked. He had a job working for the city, I think, laying pipeline or something. And he said, the reason he don't have a job is because he don't want anybody to tell him what to do. And, um, and so... Uh, we went through that whole book, and when we got done, he said, it's right. It's right. But he wouldn't commit himself to it. And so, you know, here's Jeremy. Jeremy, come to church. He enjoys the fellowship. But he chooses to live with his street friends and drink. And I, I know uh, that Satan is powerful. And a person can choose, can choose that way of life. And yet, God has ways of shaking people up. He has ways of reaching into their life. They're not going to all respond positively, but, and I don't exactly like the way that um, C.S. Lewis said it. He said the Lord drug him into the kingdom kicking and screaming. I'm not quite sure about that. Although the Lord does put pressure on people, I know. Um, so where is it in our day and age? I'm asking you. It's because we don't pray and fast. It's because we're an unbelieving generation. Uh, just a few more verses yet. 2 Corinthians 11, 27, Paul is telling about his life. And he said, In weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Plus, church problems too, he said. In Acts 16, Acts 16, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and actually, uh, Wesley read some of that for devotions. Uh, in verse 13, in Acts 16, it says, um, We went out of the city by a river where prayer was wont to be made. In verse 16, it said, It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel met us. And then in verse 25, you have, they were praying and singing praises at midnight. But before that, uh, before they got to Philippi, actually that was the introduction of the gospel to Europe at Philippi. But they, 
were planning to go someplace else, and they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost. And so they tried another way. It says they essayed or tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't allow it. And then they got this vision. And so the Spirit was directing, directing them. Ephesians 5. 15 to 18. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Those verses are talking about a, uh, a responsible walk, being circumspect. That's part of it. Um, and we, uh, we're, we're strong on emphasizing that discipleship, and that's good. That's right. Um, but you can't be drunk with wine filled with the Spirit at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. And thinking about prayer. I mean, it's what it says, and it's true. I guess just knowing how to, how, knowing what to pray. In John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he doeth it. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So we know God hears. We know man has a free will. But we know God's powerful. And so... I want to see God at work here. I think I had given you um, that little booklet when the spirits fire swept Korea. And it's dangerous to, or it's not quite the right way to think, to expect God to duplicate or exactly repeat what he did 100 years ago or someplace else. It may be different today in details, but it's still the same God, and he's still got the same power. And so it can still happen today. But what preceded some of that work of God, I think, is instructive to us, too. So I'll try and see everybody. Make sure you have a copy of that if you don't already. Let's uh, have prayer yet before we have the closing song. And uh, Delmar, would you lead us? And for those that's convenient, let's kneel.